Welcome, everybody, to episode 43 of the You Damn Millennials podcast. As always, this is Paige. This is Garrett. And it's been probably, I don't know, a week and a half since we recorded a podcast. We were on a little bit of a hiatus, as one would say. So we back, and we we back, back. and we back. We We didn't practice that. That just (laughs) happened. That's just chemistry. Um, So being that it's been a while since we have done a podcast, we got a lot to talk about. So what do you want to talk about first, Paige? Cons- I think we should just talk about the debates first. Okay, debates. Um, any of you who follow our Twitter saw me going crazy with the memes. We got like you know a bunch of likes and retweets on the the podcast account, so I was happy about that. But that is not the important part. Um, the debates themselves. I was the only one who watched them between the two of us because I had work. she had work and or class. I can't remember. We had work. But regardless, they were kind of uneventful. And that's, just, I mean, I was waiting to do home, like I was going to do homework and I remembered there were the debates. So I watched the debates. But th- they were kind of uneventful. I mean, at this point, I feel like they're kind of getting redundant in that they ask slightly different questions, but the answers always end up in the same place. It's like, you could ask a question about X topic, but it always ends up into universal health care. It always yeah. ends up to immigration in some because way. Because those are the only ones that they actually disagree on. Like, yeah. everything else they pretty much agree on. Like, I had someone ask me, um, one of our friends asked, like, why don't they talk about, like, reproduction, like reproductive rights? And I was like, because they, all across the board, agree, you know? like <laughs> Aside from maybe, like, Delaney, but he's gone at this point. Yeah, thank God. Um... But yeah, so it makes sense why they pretty much talk about the same topics that they have been for the last two or three debates. But here we are. Uh, we still have two or two more. Is this this is the third one? Yeah. Second one. Third. Well, second second set. Third round. Really? Yeah, there were two rounds. Oh, you're right. There's two the, rounds. The splits where they split yeah, them into yeah. two nights, and so there's one more night or one more planned. All of them together in one night. Actually, I could be wrong. There could be two nights left, but it's grouped together into one like event. So it's the same TV channel, just n- n- two nights back to back. No, I think I could no, be wrong. They're but... all together again. <clears throat> no, no, I know. I'm saying they're all together, but there's two nights of debating back to back. I, I think. don't know. I could be wrong, but I just they're very redundant. Yeah, they're very redundant. I mean, also, I'm like waiting for the day that like Warren and Bernie like have to disagree with each other on something. I don't think you'll but see I, that, I, I'm hoping that it doesn't happen unless they get into which they won't unless they get into like the nitty gritty of their policies, because that's really the only places that they differ is by yeah. where they get their money or. Yeah, I don't know. And like Bernie has flat out called himself a socialist. Yeah. And Warren hasn't. Yeah. But um, the only, like, eventful thing that happened for the most part was <laughs> Julian Castro kind of went hard for Joe Biden in that, you know, they were co-workers at one point in uh, Obama's cabinet, obviously Biden being the VP and Castro being HUD, HUD secretary. And uh, <laughs> so a couple times when immigration got brought up, Castro kind of threw, threw a couple shots at Biden 
The best thing, though, was that at one point, Biden said something along the lines of, my campaign supports this, and then two minutes it later, was, oh, never mind. he said, no, my campaign does not support that. And Julian Castro did like a double take and looked at him and said, do you not remember what you said two minutes ago? And then I also saw a clip, like one of the only things I saw from the debate was like Julian Castro, they were talking about healthcare and like uh, Biden brought up the fact that he like worked with Obama on Obamacare and stuff. And Ah, Julian Castro was like talking about how um, Biden's plan is like not universal coverage or whatever. And Julian Castro was like, I am like, at least one of us intends to carry on Obama's legacy or something like that. And, yeah, also at one point I forgot to mention, uh, he straight up said, uh, Mr. Biden, it it seems very convenient that whenever you want to align yourself with, say, the black community, you love to bring up President Obama so much and how similar you were. But whenever it's something that could possibly be viewed as negative – you immediately want to distance yourself from mm-hmm. it. And then I think Joe Biden's answer was, I stand with President Obama on everything. <laughs> and it was like, okay, dude. Uh, smooth transition. Joe Biden. <laughs> He's had a tumultuous couple of weeks, months, I Re- would say. Recall the, recall the white... Uh the white statement versus the black Oh, yeah, being, yeah. That was yeah. how many... It wasn't that long ago, but regardless, uh, we pretty much spent a whole, I don't know, 15, 20-minute segment talking about how old Joe Biden is. Yeah. And (laughs) so he hasn't really done much to help his case in that if you just – we've said it before, but I'll say it again real quickly. If you watch him during the debates, he's very just – Flustered. Flustered. Yeah. He doesn't speak very well. He Artic- stutters and stammers a lot. Yeah. He seems confused sometimes, <laughs> uh, talking about like specific policy. And <laughs> aside from all of this, there's been a a gem that has came out recently that <laughs> is a story that Joe Biden told. I think it was recently, but apparently this is him talking about how he really connects with, like, the black vote. And <laughs> it's about his run-in He's really trying when, to get the black when vote. he was a lifeguard. It was about his run-in with a gangster named, get this, Corn Pop. <laughs> and essentially what, what went down between the two. And I'm going to play a little bit of the clip because, frankly, it's hilarious. It makes a difference. This was the diving board area, and I was one of the guards, and there weren't a lot of, it was a three-meter board. If you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did, he, and back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. 
Not a joke. There's a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where where, where all the pool filter is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car. And they had, in those days, you used to remember the straight race. You'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. And I looked at him, but I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you get off the board, you get off the board, and I'll kick you out again. But I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that, not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. I just, just show the camera, like, the lot. picture of, like, isn't he, like, sitting on, like, a... Oh, the picture I saw was, like, him sitting. He's, no, like, he's just sitting, at a podium. On, like, a, sitting on, like, the lifeguard chair, and there's just a bunch of, like, African-American people just around him. Regardless, that that's his attempt at really connecting with the black community. And I feel like that did the opposite. Also, he sounds like a senile grandfather. Like, he really does. Like, he starts... He starts going back to details that he forgot, and he starts bringing up, like, when your grandparents tell you a story and they'll bring a random name out of nowhere, they'll be like, yeah, John Williams, he was the, he was the mechanic. <laughs> why, why is that relevant to the story, Joe? Yeah. He sounds senile. Yeah. It's, <sighs> this is the crazy part. When he is, I think I'm right here. He's 76. Trump is 73. I thought 74. 73. That might be Bernie. Bernie is 78. What the? F- um. Oh, yeah. Biden is 76. Trump is 73. Bernie is 78. Dang. Pelosi is 79. Pelosi is 79. So, with those four people, just think about it, They're all, to be fair, up there in age. Mm-hmm. And... The only one that we question their mental capacity as of right now with relations to their age is Joe Biden. Well, and well, you're right. and Trump, to be fair, at but times. I don't think Trump but, has to do with his age. But if you if you hear Trump speak and you hear Biden speak, if be completely impartial or partial, impartial, 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 a lot better speaker. Okay, a lot more no, persuasive. Uh, yes, Trump. You're right. He uses, I'm saying, he uses okay. very simplified language, yes. obviously, but he doesn't really stammer that much. No, you're right. He speaks with a lot of confidence, and yeah. because of that, you, there's power in not that. You say, recognize but that. But not to say that Trump's speech is any more compelling or, like, any more, like, like I agree, but I'm just saying, I'm like, just saying with, in okay, just comparing him to the other Democratic challengers. If Bernie, much older than him. Mm-hmm. Well, two years. Two Still years, older two than years, him, though. Not much. And, <laughs> I mean, you you don't have those sorts of comparisons. Bernie is such a... 
compelling speaker and when you listen to him i mean you might want to like clear your throat because of how how raspy his voice is but he you never listen to him and say wow he he stammers a lot or he really yeah and his age has never been brought into like his yeah yeah he would he would be the oldest president if elected by far Mm -hmm. and that wouldn't really be an issue from where we stand right now. But with Biden, it's like, eh, if we elected him, I don't know if he'd make it to four years. <laughs> and that's kind of sad, but it's... And and don't get me wrong, it's not strictly due to the fact that we don't really like him as a candidate. It's just because, I mean, you see him at the debates, he's typically one of the weaker candidates because um, yeah, he, he forgets is. details about his policies. He He's also just not convincing. Like Yeah. But regardless, I named this topic Joe Biden is old because his age is starting to show. Oh, Beto came out with something and was like, I don't care how old he is, like, whatever, it's his policy. But I think it needs to be considered. Yeah, regardless. Um, That's it for Biden and the Dems. Let's move on to world news and... Well, I guess foreign, yeah, well, yeah. foreign policy news. Yeah. Um, John Bolton. These all actually kind of kind of coincide. John Bolton. We came here. I want to say four or five episodes ago, and I did a deep dive on him and how his place um, in the government could bring us into another war. Oh yes. And because he is. A person who likes to be in war and likes to bring his country into war. Um, but he got fired in the time since we um, recorded our last podcast. He says he resigned. That motherfucker didn't <laughs> resign. He found out he got fired like an athlete finding out he got traded. He literally, his staff logged on to Twitter and said, uh, Mr. Bolton, did you see uh, what President Trump tweeted? And he was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then he saw Trump tweeted something like, I talked to John this morning. I told him we would be letting him go. Like something just real straightforward and preferably something you would say in person, I would think. But it's Trump. Yeah, he's done this a lot. So he tweeted it. And apparently I read a news article that that's how he found out. (laughs) So it's quite literally like an athlete waking up in the morning, logging onto Twitter, seeing they got traded to Cleveland Browns. And then, like, being like, wow. Or, like, seeing you got dropped from the team on Twitter without anybody giving you a call or anything. Yeah. But I can't say I feel bad for him because John Bolton is a shithead. Um, And that's probably good for the world in general because the last thing the U.S. needs to do right now is to jump into another war in the Middle East. Well, but we'll get into that. Yeah, so... He got fired. That's a good thing. And his replacement is Robert O'Brien is his name. Oberyn O'Brien, whatever the fuck. Um, and he he currently is like <coughs> let me get his like official title title. He's the oh well, no, never mind. He's uh, the State Department's top hostage affairs official. But so, that's not his biggest credential. No, his <laughs> his biggest credential to get him this job. Was Trump was the one who commissioned Trump commissioned O'Brien to quote unquote rescue ASAP Rocky. Free 
free ASAP. Pretty flacco, Jody. <laughs> However, <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, ASAP Rocky got arrested for assaulting someone in was it Sweden? Sweden. In Sweden, he was found guilty, but then they literally like he only had to pay like what was it like thirty thousand dollars? It was. I think it was three thousand. Three three thousand dollars. It was like nothing. Yeah, it was so. it was a big deal though at the time because he was in j- Swedish jail for probably three weeks. Yeah, and that was when like Trump was tweeting about how we need to free ASAP, and then everyone was like, "Wow, maybe he's not so bad." You know, every once in a while he does one of those things that makes people say like, "Huh, maybe he's not all bad," and then he'll do some terrible shit the day after that you're like, "Oh." Speaking of terrible shit. Terrible shit. Uh, were you talking about Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia, yeah. So, Saudi Arabia, there was a a drone attack bombing on a um, oil field or oil reserves in Saudi Arabia, which pretty much spells bad news for everyone mm-hmm. because, for one, raises the world price of gas, oil, crude oil, every, every gas-related product that people use in the world um that's one two uh they have now officially came out and said that iran is responsible for this and donald trump has kind of doubled down on that statement because you know we're kind of in bed with the saudis in a lot of ways so if that's what they say that's what goes because i mean look back to like the jamal khashoggi thing a american journalist got murdered by the Saudi Arabian government and we covered it up or helped covered it up and pretty much denied that he was murdered and just because we sell guns to Saudi Arabia and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's besides the point. So we doubled down on the statement saying, yes, we believe Iran is responsible or at least Trump did. Mm-hmm. So today, obviously, that escalates tensions. Yeah, and then today Trump came out and said that he's doubling down on sanctions against Iran, which is only going to increase our tensions with Iran. And fucking Iran, the reason we have tension with Iran in the first place, too, like aside from the Saudi like debacle, is because they're like enriching their uranium, you know, all that, right? (laughs) So. I mean, we're already, like, at odds with Iran. So, like, Saudi Arabia claiming that Iran is behind the attacks is, like, furthering that tension. It's great. It's kind of the rabbit hole that we're going down if we were to jump right back into the Middle East, which, I mean, to be fair, if he's putting sanctions on them, I'm here for that as long as we don't send people back over there because I think that would be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Oh, just kind of irritating so backstory a little bit john Kerry came and spoke um at the university that we go to i think like two years ago a year ago and he talked about like all the diplomacy like all the diplomatic work that he did to like sort of neutralize our relationship with iran or like make it a little bit better and then like the second trump got elected it was like fucking everything was re- like throwing it down and, the like, drain yeah so i mean the sanctions like there's a reason we have, I don't know, I don't agree with implementing like more sanctions against Iran. Hmm. Well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, one thing that I did take note of is a spike in oil and gas prices um, 
well, it doesn't spell a recession, but pretty much every recession we've had recently has been preceded also by a raise in gas or oil prices. Yeah. We don't need to go to war again over over oil. oil. We yeah. we we literally the money we spend on military action to defend our oil connects. We could probably spend on renewable energy that would be ours that we wouldn't have to rely on another country yeah. for. And well, we, I don't we're not relying on those countries. We have our own supply 100% that we're just stockpiling. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. We're just exploiting other countries. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, as we do. That's how we do. Um, so, with that, Saudi Arabia. Ooh. So, we got two topics left. Let's end on Kavanaugh. Yeah. So, GM, General Motors, has um, <laughs> seen its 43,000 of its workers mm-hmm. go on strike recently. Uh, that... <laughs> has been almost a direct result of, from what I read, <laughs> quite the opposite of what Trump's campaign promised in oh, yeah. 2016. A lot of people in that Rust Belt area of like Illinois, Ohio. Michigan, Ohio, basically that Midwest area. Um, obviously a lot of people, he went out there and he said, I'm going to get you your factory jobs back, your, mm-hmm. your car factories, your rubber factories, your factories <laughs> <laughs> in the, in the Midwest. And that was one of his main campaign promises. And as a result, he swung a couple of those states Republican that were typically Democratic. And that's pretty much how he won the whole election. Isn't like Ohio? Wasn't Ohio like Ohio was a big swing? state. Wisconsin was big. It was Wisconsin Democrat. I don't remember. Regardless, I just remember Ohio was, Ohio a, was a big state, one, and then he got it. And uh, so he got a lot of those states by promising factory jobs. And oh yeah, they were. Those are states that are primarily <coughs> de- uh, Democratic because unions. Unions. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, GM was one of those companies that he said, you know, we're going to bring more factories here. We're going to bring these jobs back. Um, and you know, with the tax cuts, uh. Trickle down economics says that or if we down bullshit, if we if we reduce the the income taxes on a lot of these bigger companies and they'll open more factories and create more jobs. But <laughs> to say you can trust a corporation who is focused on nothing but margins uh, with less less taxes, uh, GM did quite the opposite and made its labor cheaper by opening new factories in Mexico and other countries and closing down, I think, four or five factories in America. (laughs) So, as a result, GM workers are going on strike. They're going on strike as a result. Like, the latest one closed in, like, Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... So, it's like the United Automobile... UAW? United Auto... No, UAW. United Automobile Workers. Yeah. So That's they're going on strike. 43,000 is a pretty big strike. Hopefully they, you know, make them feel it. Yeah, but to, as of today, I heard that um, GM switched their health care plan. Like, as a result of the strike, they made their health care worse. Oh. Like, punishing them. Hmm, we'll see how that goes. So fucked up. Regardless, crappy company. Um, Seriously. I hope they get something done. And then, but well, and then today, like the White House issued a statement, like that seemed like it was supporting 
GM, even yeah. though GM literally outsourced. Yeah. Like, and they're hurting American workers. Yeah, it's confusing. Sounds about right. Yeah, it does actually. Trump's um, Trump's White House supports corporations over anything. So. Yeah, essentially. Uh, last topic: Brett Kavanaugh. He's back. <laughs> not <laughs> hopefully not for ever, long. Though, like. Um. So, from what I've read, new allegations. New, quote unquote. More detailed allegations. There was a New York Times article written to like commemorate. Is commemorate like a positive connotation? Yeah, don't say commemorate. Not commemorate. To like. Remember. To like. Remember is neutral. Remember or like make it like come to light again. Like so we're not like complacent about Brett Kavanaugh being a Supreme Court justice. The New York York Times wrote an article um, highlighting Deborah, Deborah Ramirez who, as you remember, was one of the people who came forward um, with Dr. Ford against Brett Kavanaugh. And she basically just, like, gave more of the story and, like, went more in depth. And then also more people from Yale came forward and, like, backed her up, too. They, She has, like, more uh, witnesses now who were probably at the time, like, scared to come forward. Um, but there's people who, like, say they witnessed, like, the things that happened and, like, She's, per- she's, um, alligating? Is yeah. that a word? Alleging. Alleging, that's the word. Alleging that, um, Brett Kavanaugh, like, would take his penis out at parties and, like, put it in girls' faces. And, like, he did that to her and his friends, like, kind of, like, I don't know, like, intimidated her and, like, made her, like, look at it and stuff. So, I guess witnesses have come forward and said that he used to do this a lot. And I think one person from the GOP, their response was, I shit you not. Well, if that's the case, why are there not more women out here describing his penis? <laughs> there was somebody who said that. And I was like. There's also GOP members who were like, um, like a woman GOP member was like, oh, like I lived with all guys when I was in college and they used to walk around naked. So should they all be accused of sexual assault? And like. I don't know. There's, like, so many things that are, like, condoning his behavior and, like, saying, oh, well, that's not actually, like, sexual harassment. And someone someone else said, like, oh, if that's the case of, like, if that's considered sexual harassment or sexual assault, then, like, half of the Senate and half of the, half of the House should be in prison. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole Trump grabbing by the pussy and then people yeah. saying, oh, that's Boys just locker room boys. talk. No, don't normalize things that aren't normal. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, the, the simple like, way to put even it. even if it's true, like, okay, like that statement, half of Congress would be like, you know. Why is that okay? Like, yeah, exactly. That doesn't validate it. Like, that just means half of Congress should be under investigation then. Like. Yeah. It, yeah. Come on, Pelosi. Investigate <laughs> Pelosi. Investigate <laughs> Pelosi. <laughs> but uh, on a more serious note, uh, yeah, it's, it's just crazy from, uh, but all I can say is I'm not a huge fan of combative politics, but (laughs) if we get a Democratic president and somehow the Senate gets the majority back, I can't promise you you have a job, Brett. Impeach his ass. Mostly because, and I'm not saying this just as a baseless accusation of we should just impeach him because we don't like him. No. It's been proven on a couple accounts that he definitely lied during his confirmation hearings. And considering one swears themselves in to not lie during their hearings, and he lied, 
That's perjury. And that's like the neutral standpoint of it. Like anyone can get down with that. Like you lie, therefore you shouldn't be in it. But we should not have a like a sexual predator on the like on the bench. Like that should not be okay. Especially on the bench serving a lifetime appointment. Considering, and we've been through this in the past too, but just to reiterate, considering many past justices have passed with almost unanimous decisions. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was like 98 to 2. Um, Certain other justices are in the 90s. So like a large, large majority of the senators vote for their confirmation because it's a lifetime appointment. You are essentially voting that person in to say, I trust this person to make the, and this is one of my big stances, this is a person who should make the most impartial decision based on based on the law, the law, not based on which way they lean. Yes. And unfortunately, that office has kind of gotten more and more politicized, which it shouldn't be. No, but I mean, with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, it's gotten a little bit out of hand. Gorsuch, like, I don't even care. Like there was it's not Gorsuch's fault that the GOP was fucking messing around and didn't let Obama appoint someone. Like, that's not Gorsuch's fault. So I don't really hold True. it He's against just him. conservative. He's conservative. And I'm not going to fault someone for being conservative. Like, that's whatever. But Brett Kavanaugh has been accused of sexual misconduct by several women, several witnesses. It's proven that he lied on the bench. This man should not be on the bench. Like, he should Especially not. when you consider that... So think about it. What are some of the most powerful, like, incredibly uh, high-ranking high jobs in the United States? President's probably number one. Vice President, Speaker of the House, probably two and three. But top 50 is definitely Supreme Court justices. Oh, yeah. I would say top 30, probably. Wait, top, like, wait, like, most coveted jobs? I'm saying powerful, like you have influence. Like top three. Top three? President? You think Supreme Court justice after vice president? Before vice president. So Speaker of the House, Senate Majority Leader are probably two and three. Speaker of the House, so President, Speaker, Senate Majority Leader, you could switch those around because those kind of... I would say... Mitch McConnell has I would say more power. Before Pelosi, like so, yeah, Mitch, before Let's Pelosi. be real. Mitch McConnell has kept so much shit off the floor that that yeah. is definitely more powerful yeah. than uh, even Speaker. Um, okay, fine. Top five people will disagree. I would say at least top fifteen. Top uh, top five. You can't give me any more people. President, Speaker, Senate Majority. Who? I mean, you could argue like Secretary of State or. Those people have pretty important jobs. They can, they reside over pretty much all the foreign policy for the United yeah, States. Yeah, and the Supreme Court justices decide the law. Like, they decide the constitutionality of the things. They're like the gatekeeper of the Constitution. Maybe we just come from different backgrounds. Like, Yeah, I'm not trying to be a lawyer, so <laughs> I wouldn't say top five. Regardless, they're definitely top 15. And so when you think about that's one of the most powerful possible jobs you can have, and you're in the top Point oh 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 one percent of lawyers, even not even people of lawyers, which is already a tough job to have. You're the top oh oh one percent of lawyers. I think they should have spotless records. I, I think agree. everybody should agree. Those people, if you want that, 
the if you want to be the highest lawyer judge person <laughs> in the land, you should not have anything on your record. I agree. That is bad in that way. But this is just like a person like like what if they have like a DUI? No. Okay, I agree. Okay, Keep them off the bench. <laughs> okay, good. You are literally the most the epitome of morality and like justice. Not even that. Like you're law. just if you're trying to apply to be essentially the best, most powerful lawyer per se in the country, you should have a spotless record. I don't care what you say. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well. And not even just like a spotless record, but like have like made an impact, like positive impact on our country. I don't even think you... Just I'm just thinking about RBG. <laughs> I love that woman. Well, regardless, that's pretty much our show for the week. Um, I believe Things we're also... Take. take away. Fuck Brett Kavanaugh. Well, always. That's that's it. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. Summary. Uh, um, yeah, always. Uh, we are probably going to attach Michelle's interview to the end of this episode. So if you are listening for that, Stay tuned. Or if you're just trying to listen to that, just skip past all of this and listen to that. Michelle is uh, another one of the students in the Inside Iowa Project through USC. Yeah, sorry for not clarifying. Yes. She's also our only conservative interviewee. Yeah, she was the only conservative, Mm -hmm. conservative interviewee. And that made for a really interesting conversation. So if you... Stick around. Yeah, I would say listen to it. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much right. it. Have a good so week, keep everyone. For Michelle's interview. Have a good week. Stay tuned because more crazy shit is definitely going to happen. Yep. Okay. So, as we mentioned, uh, coming up is our interview with Michelle. And just a quick disclaimer we recorded this interview in August. So, some of the things uh, that she says, some of the answers that she gives, uh, may not be accurate to now when we're releasing the interview. So, for example, she says uh, President Trump wasn't campaigning in Iowa at the time uh, because he wasn't, but now he is. So just a clarification before the interview starts, and here's the interview. This is going to be the second of our interview series with the Inside Iowa Project, and uh, this interview is going to be with Michelle. So, Michelle, just say hi to everyone real quick. Hi, everybody. So, uh, I'm going to ask everybody that I interview this, but uh, just explain real quick um, the Inside Iowa Project to everybody who may not know what, what it is. Sure. Um, so I'm Michelle. I'm a junior at USC studying political science and public relations and minoring in Spanish. Um, and the Inside Iowa Project, I believe, was based off of a University of Chicago program um, where they send students. I believe they send 60 students to Iowa um, during camp presidential election years uh, to work on different presidential campaigns. Um, and as you know, Iowa is such an important state in the presidential campaigning process because it comes first. If a candidate isn't viable in Iowa, then they aren't really viable for a statewide or a nationwide election. Um, So Iowa's huge. So it's really great opportunity to go into Iowa. So USC has tried the program out for the first time this year. Uh, They sent 10 of us into Iowa to work on different presidential campaigns, um, which was a really incredible experience. Right. And um, so I know this, but um, 
you are different from pretty much everyone else that we are interviewing in that uh, everybody else is working for Democratic campaigns. I mean, we have, I think, somebody on the Bernie campaign, somebody on the Biden campaign. Actually, it might be a couple on the Bernie campaign, but you're different in that you're working for the Republican Party, right? Yes, I am the token Republican of the group. Uh, it's a lot of fun, for sure. Yeah, I worked for the Republican Party this summer, and I actually, um, the Trump campaign wasn't really going on in Iowa yet. It's still a little early for um, him to be working in Iowa. So I actually worked with uh, Senator Joni Ernst in the Iowa GOP. Okay, so um, I know you were working directly with essentially the party, so just explain yeah. your experience in general. Like, what, what did you do while you were there? Um, so I actually had an amazing time in Iowa. Um, I was pretty nervous to go um, because I'd never been to that part of the country. And a lot of people from California have a lot of misconceptions about what I was actually like. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were telling me, you know, you're going to be bored, you're going to be hot, you're going to be whatever. But um, it was actually really incredible. And I've met some of the nicest people in the world there. Um, but what I did was I worked for the Iowa GOP. Um, so what that looked like is at the beginning of the summer, I mostly focused on an event called the Roast and Ride. Um, that, that's an event that Senator Joni Ernst puts on every single year um, where they get together with a ton of motorcyclists and, and they roast a large pig and, and it's a big, fun uh, event. And this year, Senator Joni Ernst was joined by Governor Kim Reynolds, Senator Jeff Chuck Grassley and Ambassador Nikki Haley. Um, so I got to help essentially put on that event. So everything from organizing it to actually physically setting up the hay bales behind the stage and <laughs> setting up tables and chairs and checking people in and running around and making sure security had water and, and making sure Nikki Haley's room was all set up. And <laughs> at the beginning of the summer, I really focused on the roast and ride, which was an incredible event. And then I, after that was over, um, I worked in the Iowa GOP office in Des Moines and helped with all sorts of different things, mostly for Joni Ernst, but also for some uh, Iowa congressional campaigns, um, mm-hmm. doing research, uh, communication stuff, uh, community outreach, helping put on events. And I also did a lot of parades, um, walking in parades with senators, which was really fun. Right. So obviously kind of a different experience compared to um, the other uh, the other people that we're interviewing. But it's kind of interesting that you're different. But um, so going with how it was a lot of like organizational work. And like you said, it was you pretty much set up the event, ran the event, um, made sure Mm -hmm. the important people were comfortable. And um, so with that and given your major, are you eventually planning to work in the world of politics? Um, You know, that's a great question. I've always been really passionate about politics ever since I started speech and debate in eighth grade. Um, I just fell in love with politics. And uh, I've actually, I'm really interested in local politics. So I was really excited to be able to work with Senator Joni Ernst um, to kind of focus more on what's going on in Iowa because I'm, I'm really interested in local politics. So I could see myself running for local elections definitely in the future. But I don't know. It's it's kind of a difficult thing right now. Politics is 
kind of a scary place, especially as a young female conservative. Um, I'm often attacked for my opinions, even just as a student, not someone in the public eye. So the decision to put yourself in the public eye is a scary one. But I do think that um, eventually I will run for office because I, I do love politics so much. Yeah, for sure. I know I definitely don't plan it at all, but um, Paige definitely feels the same way. She hasn't decided whether or not she eventually plans for like national politics, but she's definitely going to try and take a crack at local politics at some point. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you're I was in high school. I was oh, sorry. No, sorry. There. We both talked over each other for a second. Um, <laughs> No, I was going to say she actually interned for the state legislature here and she definitely uh said it it you get it seems like a lot more is getting done and it's just a lot more friendly in that it's not very combative like national politics politics are right now it was more seemed like people actually wanting to get things done for the state as opposed to you know just trying to win or make the other team lose essentially Exactly <clears throat> Um, in high school, I, I was able to work for my local assemblywoman, Catherine Baker, who was one of the very one of the very few Republicans in California left. Um, and it was really just inspiring to see how she could make such incredible change in my community. Like I, I would see what she was doing in her office every day and then actually see that, that change in my community. And that was so inspiring. Um, so that definitely push me to think more about local rather than national elections. Right. Um, so kind of on a different course, but kind of still still connected in a way. Um, so being young people, uh, it's widely believed and witnessed in my case that a lot of young people either are really passionate about politics or are pretty much just completely disconnected. So mm -hmm. we have a friend group that is all fairly politically involved and likes to keep up with politics. And I was just curious if the people you surround yourself with are a part of that group or are necessarily kind of just removed and don't really want to talk about it. Um, you know, I kind of have a nice mixture of both in my life. Um, I have a ton of liberal friends otherwise I wouldn't have a lot of friends here in LA <laughs> USC, yeah. Uh, yeah at USC exactly on any college campus really uh college campuses lean left young people lean left for the most part so conservatives we often find ourselves intermingling which is totally fine you know I, I had a great time with the nine democrats that were with me this summer um I consider all those people to be my friends so um definitely I have some friends in political science who are all at active, but I would say almost 100% of those friends who are active are liberals. Um, my friends who are conservative aren't studying political science. Um, right. All of my conservative right. friends are studying business or engineering or um, are trying to be a doctor or a nurse. Um, very few of them are invested in politics in the same way, but they believe in the Constitution and they always show up to vote. That's interesting. Do you, do you um, think there's like a reason for that, like maybe necessarily because I know in certain cases when Paige tells me about her political science classes, obviously they can get heated sometimes. So, I mean, do you think maybe it's due to the mm -hmm. fact that it's kind of uh, a numbers game where if you're in political science, you're pretty much outnumbered and you don't really have much support? Um, 
That's definitely part of it. You're definitely outnumbered. Uh, for example, I had a teacher in a large lecture last in the spring semester put up on the board. Could you ever be friends with a Trump supporter? And she asked people to raise their hands if they could ever consider being friends with the Trump supporter. And I was only one of two people in the entire lecture that raised their hand. Um, wow. So you can see how intense the polarization there can be. Um, but I, I think it's not just that uh, conservatives are outnumbered on college campuses, but also that, that most people who lean conservative are conservative because they want freedom from the government. They don't want the government encroaching on their rights to live their life. So they're not so interested in politics. They're just interested in keeping the government out of their life that they're trying to pursue, whether that be in nursing, engineering, business, whatever. Okay. Interesting. Um, so that's pretty much all of the, or actually, no, I take that back. So, um, Obviously, your experience was different from everybody else's in the things that you did. But um, originally going into the project, um, what did you hope to gain from the experience? And did you gain that from the experience? Um, you know, I going in, I, I really wanted to experience living somewhere outside of California. I was I was born and raised in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, then moved to Los Angeles for college. Um, so I hadn't really lived anywhere outside of California. Um, and my grandpa is actually from Iowa. So I have kind of roots out there. Mm. So I was interested in seeing a different way of life and also being able to experience the, um, the, uh, pre-caucus Iowa experience of, uh, just intense campaigning. It was really cool to be there. And I was able to see almost every Democratic candidate in person and shake their hands, which was really incredible. Um, and I also got to see Donald Trump speak, which has been a goal of mine for a long, long time. And that's what I wanted to gain was that that super in-depth, firsthand Iowa caucus experience and also just the experience of living somewhere else. Right. And so do you did you um, obviously because like you said, your experience is a little bit different, but did you really feel like it was really beneficial and, I mean, even life-changing in some aspects? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Now I'm considering Drake University for law school in Iowa, which I never would have considered before going there. But I really think the most impactful thing to me was working for Senator Joni Ernst. Um, Republican women are kind of unicorns right now. I believe there are only eight in the Senate. Um, and Joni Ernst is really incredible. She was actually the first woman to represent Iowa um, in the Congress or the Senate and the first female combat veteran to ever be elected to the United States Senate from any state. Um, and she, she's just a real icon of mine. She's just so smart and well prepared. And she can wrestle with the details of public policy without being too inflexible. Um, I really see her being able to work with people outside of her party, which is something I really respect as a Californian. That's something we have to do constantly. Right. Um, so, yeah, being able to really work firsthand with a female trailblazer like Joni Ernst was just life changing and incredible. Right. And so, um, again, kind of changing gears a little bit, but I want to talk about national politics just real briefly. Um, so I know in your profile, sure. You said you hoped that um, 
Nikki Haley would run. And obviously, as where we are right now, it's probably not going to happen. But um, I was just wondering your thoughts on um, the fact that there um, might be primary challengers uh, mounting a challenge against Donald Trump. Obviously, the the GOP's main goal is to get their um, candidate elected. But what do you think the effect would be of any primary challengers um, possibly trying their hand? Um, I, I don't think that the primary challengers pose any sort of threat to Donald Trump. Um, I firmly believe that he will be reelected in 2020. Um, as well, especially if our economy keeps humming the way it is right now. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't think that's a threat to him at all. I think his administration's really strong right now and is doing some really incredible things for the United States. So I think people see that. And I think if you watch his rallies at all or see the people who, the crowds that show up, I think he's really speaking to Americans in a way that they haven't been spoken to in a while. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, looking at his rallies, I mean, there's definitely um, his base, the people that support him, they definitely ride for him very, very much and they support him a lot. But um, definitely, because um, one reason for that is because he's constantly attacked. So anyone who supports him kind of feels like they always have to be on the extreme pro uh, to kind of balance it out. Yeah, that's what's been uh, essentially my thought process regarding whether or not he might be reelected has been pretty much, um, in my opinion, which group is going to want it more, the people who don't like him or the people who like him, because both parties or both sides seem to be pretty riled up at this point. But it's just a matter of who goes to the polls more. Um, Yeah, well, you know, I actually think. I actually think that's changed a little bit because since the Democratic debate, I think all of the Democrats have kind of made a really big mistake in going way too far to the left. Um, what they used to do in presidential primaries would, would you'd skew really far one side or the other, depending on your party. And mm-hmm. then when the general came around, you'd kind of come back to the middle. But now we have videos, we have voice recordings, we have, we see these candidates making these really far left claims like, for example, everyone on the debate stage raised their hand for giving free health care to illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the this election is no longer about whether you like Trump or not. It's about whether or not you want to change the entire American economy, because most most of these Democratic candidates are pushing for one form of socialism um, or another. And the majority of Americans, poll after poll, are against socialism because we study history and we know that it's never worked. Um, so I think that uh, it's really it's not about Donald Trump anymore. Even people I know a lot of Republicans who don't like him, who say, you know, I don't like the way he tweets. I don't like the way he talks. He's not presidential. Well, I hear that from many Republicans, but they still say, but there's no other option. Because voting for a Democrat is a thousand times worse in their mind because of the radical left agenda that they're being pushed. Right. Yeah, that interesting to think about. No, I just in in my case, watching the primaries and watching the debates, well, not primaries, but watching the debates, I feel like 
obviously everybody can pretty much agree the furthest or the most moderate Democratic candidate is probably Joe Biden. And he's uh-huh. just, <laughs> and I he's just, just not a very exciting candidate. Yeah, I agree. We, we definitely agree on that account. He's just, he, he's just at this point not looking very electable just because he makes mistakes when he talks and he's not a very strong debater and public yeah. speaker in general. And his voting history is looking a little funny in the light sometimes too. And yeah, he's, he's run. This is his third presidential run. And I say, let's, let's call it quits, Joe. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think probably my last question, um, you said one of the most important um, issues facing uh, the country today is health care. And I was just curious, because like you were saying, um, you disagreed how with a lot of the Democratic candidates in one form or another support socialism, whether that's Medicare for all or a form of Medicare for all. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you support something like how Joe Biden was saying, like an augmented Obamacare, or are you more um, along the lines of what the president has suggested in that um, repeal and replace it with something completely different? Um, I think Obamacare is largely a failure, and I that makes a lot of people nervous when they hear about these large grand plans that these Democratic candidates have for health care, because Obama had eight years to get Healthcare done, and he really didn't. Healthcare is still a large crisis in our country. Um, so to think that these candidates could come in and get anything done when Obama couldn't in eight years is pretty shocking to me. But um, I, I do agree with Donald Trump that Obamacare needs to be repealed and replaced with something better. Um, there's definitely need changes need to be made in our healthcare system. It's too expensive. It's too slow. Right. Um, and we're making great strides with bringing prescription drug prices down. And I think there's a lot of things that need to happen, but um, yeah, I definitely don't think that Obamacare is workable at this point. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we agreed on the, the fact that, like you said, it's slow, things are expensive, but I think that was the last of my questions. I thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. It has been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've bridged a couple gaps. Um, for sure. Um, and as like a final note, cause I know, uh, you're, you have a lot of probably liberal listeners. Um, I really encourage everyone to not hate thy fellow conservative. Um, I promise we're not all evil. Like there's a lot of really great people on both sides. And I think people on, on both sides of the aisle just want for the country and we just have different ways of getting there. Um, mm-hmm. so I really hope that you know, more and more people can come together to have conversations and can agree to disagree sometimes to for any of us to pretend like we know the right answers all the time is silly to me. I think we're constantly learning. Things are constantly changing. Um, so we have to be patient with each other and try and listen to each other a little bit more on both sides. I wholeheartedly agree. Um well, it's been great talking to you. My last Thank question so. was going to be if you had anything else to say, but that pretty much that was your was closing statement. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a really good interview, really uh, informative uh, to kind of get a different viewpoint than what we're used to on the show. So just thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.